0: It's a bomb cyclone. We have blizzard conditions still expected out through the Midwest. Wind is going to continue to be a big deal. And take a look at that. It's also a coastal flood threat.
1: And it's caused travel chaos. I'm Daniel Estrin. And I'm Scott Simon. And this is Up First from NPR News. Heavy winds in parts of the U.S. downed power lines. Airlines have canceled thousands of flights. And in a moment, how the Arctic blast has chilled Chicago. Also, the public can now read the final report by the House committee investigating the January 6th insurrection.
0: It's more than 800 pages and has recommendations for what ought to happen next.
1: And it's been three months of anti-government protests in Iran as people demand regime change.
0: So please stay with us. We've got the news you need to start your weekend.
1: Here's some of what this extreme weather has brought to the U.S. Coastal flooding in parts of New England. A pileup
0: in Ohio involving about 50 vehicles. Stranded people were picked up by bus to keep
1: them from freezing in the below-zero temperatures. In the Buffalo area, officials warned that blizzard conditions were making it near impossible for first responders to operate. And it's rough in
0: Chicago, too. Nearly 600 flights canceled at O'Hare Airport yesterday.
1: Joining us to talk about all of this is Michael Puente, reporter with member station WBEZ in Chicago. Michael, how you doing? What's the weather like there?
2: Well, Daniel, snow is what we're really good at handling here in Chicago, but that's not the issue. In fact, we didn't even get as much as was predicted. It's just really, really cold. I know um, um, know, Scott over there, the Chicago guy, but I think Even he would find this pretty cold. It's actually climbed to three degrees right now, but it feels much colder because of that wind chill. We're talking 20 to 30 mile per hour winds that can knock you down or blow you sideways. It also makes you feel like it's minus 35 degrees. You're getting into dangerous territory driving or even walking around for more than a few minutes, especially if you don't have the right gear on.
1: Wow. How is the city handling that?
2: Well, Daniel, it's causing a lot of disruption. Officials have opened warming shelters. There's some trains here that have been stopped along DeSabo Lakeshore Drive where the wind comes right off the lake. Officials have had to restrict big vehicles like buses from traveling at certain times. They're concerned that they're so big making driving on the drive more dangerous because of water that splashes onto the outer drive from Lake Michigan. The last time it was shut down was in 2011. Portions of the highway have been shut down because of icy conditions. But, you know, I I spoke to Rich Guidis. He's the executive director of Chicago's Office of Emergency Management and Communications. And he said the city's been handling things relatively well. He said, had things gone as were forecasted a few days ago, it could have been much worse.
3: You know, had we had gotten that three to six inches of snow, like I said, with the fifty uh, mile an hour wind gusts and the uh, extreme cold temperatures that we have, uh, we could have had a different scenario. So we'll we'll take we'll take this as a win thus far. But by no means should anybody
1: spike the ball just yet. We still have a, a few days to go here. Michael, how does that compare to the rest of the country?
2: Well, we may be one of the coldest places right now in the country, but we're certainly not the only one suffering in the wake of this storm. More than a million people were without power on Friday, and roughly 60% of the country was under some kind of advisory. And the travel problems are just widespread. Nearly 6,000 flights were canceled yesterday. We saw 1,300 more flights were canceled today. This is really unfortunate confluence of factors. It's a holiday weekend, one of the busiest travel times of the year. Add that with staffing issues the airlines have been dealing with. It's the real-life version of that movie, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which was also about holiday travel involving Chicago. Unfortunately, this is not a movie, and it's very frustrating for people, not to mention for those who are dealing with power outages and other serious disruptions. For people looking for some good news in Chicago and many other places in the country, it's supposed to start warming up beginning Christmas Day and into next week. Hmm,
1: good. Now, I understand this has not kept the Chicago Bears off the field. Tell us more about that.
2: That's right, Daniel. This game is still scheduled for noon at Soldier Field. Today, they're playing the Buffalo Bills, who are also no stranger to code. You know, usually tickets for Bears games goes from $150 to $200, but you can get into this game for almost for free. Some tickets are going for as little as $12. So if you or Scott are up for going to the Bears game today, I'll buy you the tickets and I'll meet you there.
1: (laughs) All right. Michael Puente, reporter from member station WBEZ in Chicago. Thank you.
2: Thank you.
0: After 18 months, the House committee investigating the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol has issued its full report.
1: It's a long read, over 800 pages long, with a list of recommendations on what the committee members think should happen next.
0: Those recommendations include, barring former President Trump. From running for office again, NPR political reporter Deepa Shivaram has gone into the report and joins us now. Deepa, thanks so much for being with us. Hey, good morning. So much of this report centers around the actions of former President Trump that led up to the insurrection. What are the consequences, though?
4: Yeah, so basically in this 800-page report, like you said, uh, the committee goes into detail uh, on what happened leading up to the January 6th insurrection and what they think should happen next. So the biggest thing are these criminal referrals, which we learned about earlier this week. The committee referred Trump to the Department of Justice for four criminal charges. And in the full report, which came out late Thursday night, they cite part of the 14th Amendment. And this part says that anyone who took an oath to uphold the Constitution but engaged in an insurrection can be barred from holding federal or state office. So they recommend that Trump shouldn't be able to run for office ever again. And they also recommend creating a way to evaluate whether other people who took part in the insurrection should be barred from holding future government office on federal levels or other levels.
0: And what have we heard from the former president?
4: We heard from the former president uh, on his social media platform called Truth Social about the report. He's once again repeating his lie that the 2020 election was stolen from him. And he called the committee highly partisan and said their investigation was a witch hunt.
0: Can you tell us about some of the other recommendations the committee laid out.
4: Yeah, there are quite a few here that are aimed at protecting democracy. One of the recommendations is that Congress should make stronger criminal penalties for people who obstruct the peaceful transfer of power. And there's a recommendation on adjusting the Electoral Count Act, for example, so it's more specific in saying that the vice president's role in certifying an election is completely ceremonial. The committee also recommended more oversight over the Capitol Police as they improve their planning and training processes. And Scott, a lot of the report is focused on Trump's actions to overturn the 2020 election. But there were so many everyday people whose lives were impacted by this, including election workers. And one of the committee's recommendations is for more federal penalties for those who threaten election workers. The committee's investigation found that many of the people who refused Trump's requests to change the election results or were caught in the middle of it were subject to harassment, intimidation and violent threats. So one of the committee's recommendations is to help protect those workers, too.
0: A new Congress uh, is going to be sworn in within days. Republicans will uh, have control of the lower chamber. Do we expect anything to happen to these recommendations?
4: At this point, it's unclear what's going to happen with some of these recommendations, but some of them, like reforming the Electoral Count Act, has already happened. It got included in the end of year budget bill. But like you said, the thing to keep in mind is that Republicans are set to take control of the House uh, very soon in early January. So we have a divided Congress, which likely means a divided approach on how to handle some of these recommendations. There were four House members, including Representative Kevin McCarthy, who were subpoenaed by the committee but didn't comply. And the committee recommended that they face repercussions for that. But with the GOP-led House, that's probably not likely going to happen. And when it comes to some of those criminal referrals to the Department of Justice, like I mentioned before, that's just something that we're going to have to wait on. Attorney General Merrick Garland has assigned a special counsel for the investigations into Trump. His name is Jack Smith, and we'll be watching to see what he does next.
0: And PR political reporter Deepa Shivram, thanks so much. Thank you. Iranians have been protesting for more than three months.
1: The demonstrations began after the death of an Iranian Kurdish woman in the custody of the Morality Police. Iran's government has responded with a crackdown on the streets and recently death penalties for some, including a prominent Iranian doctor. And Peter Kenyon has been
0: following developments from Istanbul. He joins us now. Peter, thanks for being with us. Hi, Scott. We have we've seen several waves of intense protests over, I guess, the last 90 days Does this pace seem to be continuing?
3: The demonstrations are still going on, especially in the major cities. One took place this week in Zahedan, that's a city in southeast Iran. Here's a bit of what it sounded like. So people are still turning out, but Iranians and analysts say the demonstrations are a bit smaller, a bit less frequent recently. Uh, This could be just a lull, or some event might spark a resurgence. It could also suggest to some that the fierce crackdown is finally starting to work. But the counterargument to that is the protesters are still continuing to take to the streets, in spite of the violence inflicted by security forces, uh, and in spite of the death sentences being handed out by Iranian courts. Peter, what's the government say about the protests? Iranian officials are doubling down on their main contention that this is all being engineered by the U.S. and other, quote, enemies of Iran. Iran's foreign minister at a regional conference in Jordan said recently that, quote, irresponsible interventions by the U.S. and Western countries that have themselves been dealing with protests and reacting in the most violent manner continue to try their best to destabilize Iran. And now beyond that, Iran has suddenly become a lot more interested in another topic, reviving the 2015 nuclear agreement. Talks in Vienna had stalled when Iran began throwing up objections and demands. And then the Biden administration basically signaled that concluding this deal and restoring the nuclear deal was unlikely to happen while Iran is beating, imprisoning, and killing its own citizens. But now Iran does want to focus attention back on its nuclear program.
0: Peter, there's been an awful lot of international attention and outcry over uh, Iran imposing death penalties on protesters and carrying out two
3: known executions. What do you know about these cases? Well, nearly two dozen people could face a death sentence, say rights groups. Uh, I reached one man, Hassan Hassanlu, in the Netherlands. Uh, He's the brother of Dr. Hamid Raray Hassanlu, who faces execution after being convicted of demonstrating against the regime. Um, Hassan told me he's not surprised because his brother has very strong beliefs. Uh, Here's some of what he told me. On something that he believes, he would be as, as stubborn as hell. He was tortured in a way. Four of his ribs was broken, and he had three surgeries so far.
4: And he
3: didn't confess. He didn't confess on something that he didn't do. Hasan says he's proud of his brother, even though there could be consequences now for his family or his colleagues.
0: Peter, what do you, uh, what do you anticipate or look for to see what direction the, these protests might take next?
3: I think, first, will the protests grow smaller or possibly see a resurgence? Will there be another shift in their demands? Now, this started after the death of a young Kurdish woman in police custody. Then it morphed into a call to topple the government. Is there another shift in store? So that will also bear watching.
0: NPR's Peter Kenyon in Istanbul.
1: Thanks so much for being with us, Peter. Thanks, Scott. And that's Up First for Saturday, December 24th, 2022. I'm Daniel Estrin.
0: And I'm Scott Simon. Up First, back tomorrow as NPR's Rachel Martin interviews Barbara Streisand on her acting ambitions and
1: lifelong aversion to live performance. We got Babs, Scott. We got Babs. (laughs) And so much more. More news, interviews, books, music, every weekend on the radio.
0: Weekend edition every Saturday and Sunday morning on your local NPR station. You can find your stations at stations.npr.org.